Welcome to This is for the CV, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. This is a podcast by Anthony and Rebecca, two professors in communication and political science, chatting about politics, pop culture, and the things in between. This week, we are joined by Dr. Clarence Williams. He joins us to talk about his path to and through education. He shares his experience and wisdom working at all different levels of K-12 education in the DFW area. And he explains his life-giving approach to research through his new documentary that tells the often untold story of the DFW sound and the way that it's impacted the world. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Rebecca. And hello, Dr. Williams. Hey, how y'all doing? You're good? Good. Hey, man. Yeah, good. Really appreciate you taking the time to be with us this week mm-hmm. how's life on your end you know uh th- this week is good man uh, you know the sun is shining uh it, it has like a west coast feel uh you know in, in, you know here in uh, arlington so got a nice little breeze 60 degrees so you know i feel good just trying to enjoy and take this break the spring break and trying to get some you know mental clarity from uh all the stress of uh day-to-day life uh working in education so Feel good. It's just a little bit of stress. <laughs> a little stress, a little stress, you know. Yeah, man, like it's it's weird because you know, it's it was the 17th of March and like a year ago, the last real interaction I had before COVID took over the world was with you. It was spring yeah. break 2020. You came down we went to the burger spot. We had coffee. We talked about making some documentary films. You came. You talked to my methods class. You, we spent the whole day together, dapped it up, and you was back on the road. And then, like, by, you know, the end of that week, it was like, oh, I'm not going outside my house no more. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> like, how have you processed this past year? Like, that's wild. You, you know, for me, man, this entire year has been uh, used to really reflect and think about, you know, what – um what will be, you know, my next steps and, and uh, kind of forcing you to shut down, like, uh, and put things that may not necessarily be as important as you thought they were um, to decide to really focus on the things that are, you know, really important family, uh, you know, self-care, thinking about self, you know, those type of things, you know, it allowed me to really put, put things in perspective, my health. Um, So, it, it was tough, but it was like a blessing in disguise because I don't think ever in my life I ever like had a break, especially kind of, you know, working and going to school and I just been on the go. And, uh, and for the first time it was like, just be still. And so uh, in that stillness, I kind of found myself in a sense. So, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to move forward, crank out as much as, the, you know, some of these uh, ideals I have in my head and make them realities. So. Right on, man. I, I I have those thoughts and then you know it's also coupled with I miss teaching this side of classroom I, mm-hmm. I really miss the golf course I really miss my empty quiet house right like <laughs> like man I I stab somebody in the eye for 45 minutes of no sound right like I I take out your cornea for that right now in 2021 like so <laughs> you know yeah, a, a little, a little piece. Yeah, yeah, that's the new normal, man. Everyone in the house jammed up. Everything loud. 
<laughs> I think I, I think I just seen everything on Netflix and Amazon Prime and <laughs> Disney Plus. End of the internet. You've reached uh, the end. YouTube. Hey, listen, I looked at everything on YouTube. I'm the first human being. <laughs> <laughs> everything on YouTube. <laughs> call me Mr. YouTube. Matter of fact, that should be a Guinness Book of World Records. I'm going to be in there. You know. It crack, should be. Crack. <laughs> you were searching for yourself, or you was you was letting it rock with the recommended. Um, I, I find my own stuff, man. I don't, yeah. I don't ever, click, I don't click on the recommended ever. Yeah, that'll take you down a portal. Yeah, they yeah. will. They will. They're dirty. Yeah, <laughs> they really are. <laughs> the, the algorithms get you. Mm-hmm. They sure do. I have learned to sign out before I play videos in my class on Zoom because then they see what's recommended <laughs> next oh, for me. Uh, or it's like previously viewed and once it was view again and it was like a fart uh video and someone pointed it out they're like larson what, what are you watching it's <laughs> like look farts are funny and just rolled with it and moved on <laughs> but yeah little, they take a little bit of anything right mm -hmm. hmm. artificial intelligence <laughs> i don't know how artificial it is man like it's built off what we gave it. And a lot of us gave it a lot of stuff. Yeah, and we keep giving it a lot of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. we, like, we sign your rights over. <laughs> it, it, nothing's for free, man. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nothing's for free, so. Yeah, there's a price to be paid. But, uh, you, you know, the, the, the beauty of it is that, you know, somewhere in my beliefs, I believe that they can never beat the human. I think that we're gonna get, we, it's gonna come down to that man versus machine and i don't think the, i don't think the machine gonna win I, I think even with all the input uh there's something about the human soul man that, that can't be captured by uh technology i do think we're starting to realize the the negative side of all of the technology that we have right now in social media the impacts that it's having on our mental health and the impact of you know misinformation so there seems to be some sort of reset that people are doing on an individual level and also collectively. And so, yeah, I have some hope there too. Yeah. You know, I, I hope, I hope uh, it, it continues, but you know, it's kind of like, uh, it was time when people burn books too. And, and yeah, yeah. We, we ask everybody on the show to start off by just talking about like their path, like your, your path through education, your path through university systems like how did you know that this was the route like what how'd you navigate all that like what's the story you know man I'm, I'm uh i'm that story of uh the underdog man you know not not necessarily um like teachers didn't believe but but you know man sometimes um you can start to believe what media portrays your life to be and you look around and you see your homeboys kind of going down this path, you believe that that outcome is for you, you know? Um, I had really, 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 really strong parents that had uh, a philosophy in, in uh, making sure that we had, that we were, you know, educated, college educated. Both my parents, both uh, college educated. And, you know, they're from like small country towns, Bugaloosa, Louisiana, uh, uh, Greenville, Mississippi. And, and they joined the military um, before they went to college, but they used the military as means to get to uh, higher ed. Mm. And for them, they recognized that that was gonna be the way for them to um, transcend, I guess, the cycles of poverty in a sense, 
from the small, you know, small town. And uh, for us, me and my brother, um, it was always expected that we were gonna go to college. And, uh, you know, both my parents went to uh, historical black colleges. Um, my brother, he obviously is older. He ended up going to Texas Southern uh, in Houston. And, uh, you know, I had other plans to go to Morehouse uh, in Atlanta. My mom didn't want me to be uh, separated from my brother. So she wanted us to be, you know, together, close by, whatever. And so I had to go to school with Texas Southern. And uh, so I went down to Texas Southern. It was cool. I, I did not finish from Texas Southern. Um, I ended up finishing from University of Houston. Long story. Probably wasn't the best decision. I don't necessarily consider, you know, U of H as my alma mater, or, you know, school that I would say I love, uh, you know. Mm. I, I spent equal time at University of Houston and, and Texas Southern. Um, but, you know, I, as an undergrad, I, I, I majored in uh, business finance uh, with a minor in African studies, um, which is probably one of the reasons why I had to stay a little longer. Like, you know, like got to take, they made us take a minor. Um, huh. So I did it in, I did it in uh, African studies. And, and for, for me, I was chasing the, the ideal of money. And, uh, you know, I remember I, I called my dad. And I was like, you know, uh, I want to, I, I just want to get out of school early. And, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just didn't want to be in school anymore and called him. And, uh, and I told him I was thinking about dropping out mm. and, you know, <laughs> I remember him hanging up the phone on me. <laughs> so then I called him and we had this long, long talk and, He's like, listen, man, uh, you got two choices. If you're going to do business, you need to do, you know, finance or accounting. You need a, a real skill. Uh, business management is not one. Uh, that's just people's, you know. So I had to choose my, my route. I decided to take finance. Uh, you know, University of Houston Business School is pretty good. Bauer Business, you know, college. You know, I'm kind of a lucky one because, I've, you know, I've never uh, bought books in college. Like, you know, I didn't buy books for any course until I actually got into my doctoral program. You know, I was just, uh, I was one of those people that had to, um, had to go to class. And so, you know, I never took morning classes. I always took like after 10 o'clock, all the way to the evening. As long as I can go to the class, anything that, you know, the professor could say, I can remember everything, you know, and, you know, just, that was just, and I would look on like, uh, back, back then it was called Pick a Professor. And uh, on Pick a Professor, you can read the reviews about every professor. And anyone who loved a lecture or wrote a book, I was taking this class. Yo, they self-righteous. They want to tell you about their book and their view. And all you got to do is give it right back to them. And I figured that, I don't know how I figured that game out, but that was the game. You know, you just give them back what they want to hear. Everything, you know. And so, you know, I was able to graduate. I graduated, you know, not with a bad GPA, probably not great. You know, it was 3.0. For me, I wanted to go into the finance route and um, it just seemed like no doors were opening for me. And, and so, you know, I always, when I was in Houston, I always worked with students. I always worked with like, you know, kids somehow, some way. I worked at the school called St. James Episcopal uh, in Third Ward, Texas, and uh, which is Houston. Uh, but Third Ward is like his own world. You know, I just, I realized my, my, my niche is always working with kids. When I would come home in the summertime, I'd work at the Boyd and Girls Club in the Arlington branch. I would always work with kids. And so I end up actually going that route uh, and going, you know, working the Boyd and Girls Club in Arlington um, as the education director. And I worked on alternatives of certification. And that was kind of, you know, my path. And 
and I got a teaching job. Um, my first job teaching was at an alternative school. Mm. And honestly, I only worked as an alternative school teacher, as an actual teacher uh, in Everman in Fort Worth. Uh, but while I was working on, you know, the teaching thing, I went right back into school and I, mm. uh, I went to Prairie View for uh, my math. I got two masters, actually, masters in uh, counseling and master in uh, educational administration from Prairie View. And, uh, and I had the ideals that I wanted to, you know, do more than just teach. I had some, you know, very influential frat brothers that, um, that had been principals. And, you know, for, you know, they asked me the questions like, you, you know, what is, what impact do you want to make? And you want to make a great impact on, you know, beyond your classroom or, or do you just want to, you know, reach kids and go home? And, uh, I wanted to do more. And so, uh, that kind of set me on the path to continue to, you know, strive for my education. Uh, you know, if I can just be really honest with you, being an African-American male, um, recognizing that certain opportunities don't always come uh, to those, you know, when I think about my friends who who didn't make good choices or decisions sure. uh, and family members who hadn't had the opportunity to go beyond uh, just even a master's level um, was an opportunity for me to, to kind of, you know, break the break the mold in a sense. So uh, I decided to, to, to go, you know, go back to school again. Uh, and, uh, you know, I acquired my, my doctorate from uh, Tarleton State University. It's kind of interesting going from, you know, HBCU to, you know, uh, State School, University of Houston, and then going back to, you know, histor historically black college, mm -hmm. and then going back to a state school that's, you know, majority, you know, um, white, you know, institution, just navigating that is reflective, honestly, of the world we live in. It's like, uh, you know, what I call it, the, the duality of, uh, of African-American living. Like, you know, it's like, yeah. uh, you, you have to be black when you're with your family, and then you kind of have to be kind of white and operate in this world that don't always look like you. And that's kind of my educational journey, is that um, there's, there are places that understand you, and there's gonna be places that don't understand you, and you gotta understand them, unfortunately. But uh, that has been my journey, really is what, driven you know drives my work um because i recognize that as i went through the system in a sense uh, I, I saw the barriers and even you know as adult you know you when you're aware of what's going on uh you see it and you know when you have you know i was just telling someone earlier that i only got one b in, 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 in you know at tarleton state and it was this uh adjunct professor that told me i wasn't good enough and i was thinking like, <laughs> i got one b and i was like you oh, gave okay. me like how you could oh you give me the B so I'm not <laughs> so you know I mean but she was she was very adamant she said I wasn't um she said that she didn't think I was ready or or didn't think I was worthy of it so um you mm. know that's that's not easy worthy oh that yeah, word yeah, yeah. she wrote an email that I forwarded to the university that never got a response back oh so, my uh, you're putting these things in writing lady yeah, okay yeah, yeah put in the email I sent it to him. And I asked, I asked for a rubric. I was like, please tell me how she, you know, graded me. Yeah, what's the rubric for worthiness? Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I, I moved through and, and uh, you know, I, I was, I was, uh, I will say that, that although everyone did not like uh, my, you know, my particular chair, um, you know, I, I felt for me, you know, she was, she was an advocate for, for me. And one of the things that I would not compromise was my intellectual, um, thoughts and I didn't want to change it or dumb it down or play safe 
when it came to how I wanted to um, own my knowledge, really. Mm-hmm. Ownership. <laughs> For real. Yeah. And so where are you working now and where is that path taking you to? Yeah, so so um, I, I'm, I've been working in, uh, in a, what do we call uh, urban, suburban, uh, district school, district Crowley, uh, outside of Fort Worth. Over the last 10 years, I would say it's changed, you know, you know, mostly a suburban area, kind of country rule. But a lot of the people from the city have, you know, moved to the to that area. When I came to the district, uh, I came from Fort Worth ISD uh, from a teacher, alternative school teacher to a assistant principal. You know, and, and I will say that I've been, you know, blessed and fortunate to be able to move through um, the, the school district and, 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 you know, be pretty successful, I believe, you know, from assistant principal to uh, assistant principal at the high school to the associate principal at the high school to, uh, uh, you know, uh, intermediate principal to elementary principal. Uh, and now I'm in the role of uh, what you call the school transformation officer, which is an executive leadership position where I supervise principals now uh, responsible for uh, implementing new programs, um, new courses. Uh, I'm the kind of the creative design chief for the African American Studies course. Um, we're actually the first school district in the nation to ever partner with um, African ancestry. And so our kids are doing like a project-based learning in the African American Studies course, which just got approved by the state to be a full year course. But uh, you know, the, the design and the implementation of it uh, is, is something that falls in my department, um, uh, you know, STEM in all the elementary schools uh, and any kind of special redesign, Montessori, early childhood. That's kind of my wheelhouse where, you know, I'm looking to create more opportunities for our kids uh, to be successful. Uh, you know, just kind of focusing on those foundational skills to ensure that kids have, um, uh, we can, you know, address some of those issues when they get to ninth grade, what causes kids to drop out really. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been, I've been, um, you know, I've been blessed. Uh, I have a very, you know, supportive uh, superintendent, deputy superintendent. We have a very su- supportive school board that really has a clear vision of what they expect for us, and uh, it, it aligns with my personal, you know, goals and and desires and uh, moral compass. So uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm allowed to, to be free, really. Um, mm-hmm. In education, that is to me probably the most uh, important thing. Really, is is intellectual freedom. Agreed. Mm. Yeah, I need yeah. I need you to leave me alone. <laughs> I, I got it. Like I, I know what yeah. to do. I, I I spent a lot of time thinking about what I want to do. I know I'm here now. Let me yeah. let me do it. Thanks. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a robot. I'm not I'm not artificial intelligence. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Right. It's like uh, we met because I was in your I was in your cohort uh, mm. at Tarleton. Okay, I I assumed that yeah. y'all were classmates. Okay. Yeah. And um, we're in this class and I'm sitting in a row in front of him. I don't know him. I'm sitting in a row in front of him and um, discussion breaks out. Somebody starts talking about what white privilege is and what white privilege ain't. And then I hear this voice and it was like, yeah, but have you considered? And then just (laughs) like, but have you considered? And then let me give you the real about what this is. And then there was just crickets. And I was like, who is this dude? I'm like, oh, I got to know him because he just Turn went all him right here in class, <laughs> didn't raise his voice. I'm like, this is amazing. 
Yeah, I, I was I was pretty uh, uh you know listen man when, when you get to that this point you know you, you figure hey man uh, ancestors fought for the opportunity to be able to you know to engage in mm-hmm. intellectual conversations and uh without persecution so you know man uh you know it was it was interesting because it was it was three African American men and they were, they were, we were all, we were like, we were segregated. So Anthony was like in, in the Waco cohort. Right. <laughs> Work cohort. And Johnny, uh, what is it? Do- Donnie. Yeah, Donnie was in, uh, in, in Tarleton. So it's like, yeah, they kept us separated. But, uh, you know, it, we, you know, when we came together, it was, it was like, yeah, I need to, you know, we, we need to link up. We need to talk, man. And uh, anytime we had any type of trips or anything like that, it was like, yeah, I'm going, you know, me and Anthony going to be together. We good. You know, so like, and it wasn't trying to be, um, we weren't trying to be like, I, you know, there, there are certain things that just to be quite honest, that, that he, he saw and he was like, man, that just ain't, you know, that just ain't sitting right. Or mm. I'm, I'm watching like, did you see that? Did you hear what they say? Or, or the looks or, <sighs> you know, or just whatever, man, just yeah. trying to figure out the lay of the land. Like, what does this mean for us? And go in Stephenville, they're interesting places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then we, and when you think about, you know, like, like you got to serve the land, like, yo, man, how are we going to survive? And, and, and really, mm-hmm. Anthony became a, a um, accountability partner. And, you know, I wanted to see him finish mm-hmm. and he wanted to see me finish. And uh, we both recognized, and then I felt, you know, um, understanding where we've come from in our paths uh, were very similar. And then why we, why we had to do it, you know, mm. uh, it wasn't, it wasn't an individual thing. We weren't doing it for just self, you know, mm-hmm. when you get to that level for, you know, for, in my opinion, you know, um, some people do it for, for titles. Um, I did it for my ancestors and, and I did it for the people that, that you know, that, uh, probably wanted to do more, yeah. but couldn't, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, in, in my family, and I'm from a big family, a very big family. My, you know, my mom has 12 brothers and sisters. And my, my dad has 11 brothers and sisters. And I'm the first one to achieve, you know, even this level of, uh, of education. And my, my, my father's highly educated, you know, just, you know, he's an aerospace engineer, masters in education, you know, uh, engineering, logistics, whatever, aerospace. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just that, you know, it's just not, not that it's not achievable or wasn't there, you know, but when you think about the plight and the struggle um, since 1619 for, for many, you know, African-Americans, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a battle. It's been an uphill battle. And, uh, and I was able to get to the top of the hill and I'm not, I'm not done yet. Hmm. It's time to, it's time to lift. Starting to lift people up, like get off here. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, Clarence, you're not stopping with Doctor. Clarence nah, finished nah, nah, first. Nah. Like he yeah. finished before anybody. Regardless, was out of he, he was out of there. He was done. Nice. He was done. Not he was banging around. out dissertations before comps. He was like, "Yeah, I'm, <laughs> wow. I'm halfway down. Like I'm, I'm it." And, and so, like he was. And up you were and working full time too while doing it, right? I was school principal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking about that timeline. Yeah. Wow. Wild. Wow. And then, you know, every, every three, four months, it'd be like, where you at, man? What's going on, man? Yeah. You about to be done or what? And it's, it's like, like you know. 
Yeah, I was writing. I was writing uh, every spring break, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas. I, you know, I would I, listen. I knew where every coffee shop there in mm -hmm. Dallas were, and I would prop up and just go at it. Nice. And, and, you know, and it, and it was it was it was personal. You know, so it wasn't like it was work. It was just uh, me connecting and um, and just putting it all out on paper. Really. Yeah, man. Qualitative, data rich. 300 some pages. <laughs> it's long. <laughs> it's really long. Uh, but necessary though. Yeah. Yeah. So not to jump too far off topic, so we'll stick with when you were talking about how this past year has been for you and you talked about sort of finding yourself and a lot of us have been doing, you know, forced self-reflection, I guess you could say. How do you think this time has been for your students and what are some of the impacts you're seeing on them? You know, uh, it, I think it's hard for kids, period. You know, this not being, we knew that uh, there'll be, you know, issues with kids being engaged with just like technology alone, just being able to be, you know, fed information, uh, but that human connection and that ability to kind of spontaneous play, free play, unstructured play has been tough on, on kids. Uh, and, you know, we weren't made to be robots or in isolation. We, there's, there's the element of human connection is a need for us to kind of, you know, in a sense be like, you know, we're tribal people, we're all everyone, you know, and we need to um, be amongst each other. Uh, and, and I think kids learn from each other, you know, like even in, in household where, you know, you got a younger sibling with an older sibling, you know, they're able to grasp much more uh, because they have the older sibling in the, in the home. Uh, when you take away that, that element, you know, the world shrinks on the children. And, uh, and we're, we're recognizing that, and, and I'm sure there's gonna be studies for years and years and years to go, you know, uh, you know beyond us, to see the impacts on on what this meant and 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 yeah i think it's gonna be detrimental honestly um because because of the lack of connection and and, and hopefully uh when things get back to a, a world where we're able to connect more i hope that people see being outside in the sun being outside uh, away from technology you know understanding the world beyond and not just so, solely focusing on the things that would distract, you know, distracting us, you know, uh, we, we tend to, um, I call it escapism. You know, we, we tend to find these mechanisms to, to escape in, uh, to kind of give us a break from the norm, right? But now when the norm became uh, your everyday, it's uh, now, we need to, now we need a break from that. And so a break from that means getting away from the devices, just, you know, going off the grid really and, and connecting with people and just learning. So maybe, maybe kids can sit down and listen to some adults now. <laughs> pull out your bell, pull out your bell, listen, you better listen to it. You gotta do that no more. Might not be so terrible anymore for them. <laughs> so we hear a lot about, you know, children falling behind in this time, but I hear a different set of values that you're reflecting with your concern about how this time has kind of um, impacted children. So what are you hopeful about in terms of when we do go air quotes back to normal um, around helping kids 
do we need to be focused on them catching up? And if there's a catch up rubric, what should that look like? And what do you hope that, you know, sort of the state organizes around with that? You know, I, I don't, I don't think the state is going, you know, the state is not going to be the answer. Um, so the answer relies on school districts to be um, forward thinking. Uh, right now, there's a lot of data coming out saying the kids are like, you know, three and a half months behind in, in math. Um, and that's just normal. They, that's not that's not broken down by subgroups or subpopulations, but you know maybe a month and a half in reading. Um, so, you know that means that we need to celebrate uh, curriculum. And uh, you know in, in my in our school district, you know I've been talking uh, with, with our superintendent and leadership about you know really bundling things or you know not teaching concepts in, in isolation, mm. but teaching things uh, in relationship with each other. Uh, and kind of speeding up the process. Uh, acceleration also is kind of more of a, a gifted term or you know, usually for gifted and talented students. And a lot of those concepts that are utilized in the gifted and talents can be utilized in general, you know, general education. And so, you know, it's gonna take school districts to to really learn from each other. Um, and and you know, if that means that, you know, even in my position, researching and finding out who's doing what. Um, uniquely different to solve a problem um, and then trying that, you know, the, my hope is that coming out of this is that we become more uh, innovative uh, as in, in education and that innovation will spark a new way of doing education because to be quite truthfully, uh, truthful to you, it was, it, it's not working and, 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 it, and it has failed several generations of, of kids and, and, and Unfortunately, uh, you know, historically marginalized groups, uh, that being mostly African Americans, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't play the, the race card of saying who's been, you know, <laughs> devalued the most or whatever. You know, but, but the reality is, you know, you look at historical marginal people, that would obviously put us, you know, in the, in the bottom um, quartile. So, you know. Um, we got we got a lot of work to, to do, and I think this opportunity to to to, to revamp uh, how things are done. If you're using the same tools to measure kids' success, like testing, uh, that's not going to be the answer. Um, obviously, that's going to be there because it's big money in it, uh, and there's a lot of a lot of things that's tied to testing. Um, you know, all the way up to you know higher ed, mm -hmm. and so. Uh, the system is built on that, and it, you know it's, it's a way for us to kind of weed people, weave either weed people in or weed people out of uh, um, access to to knowledge, really. And so, the hope is that we 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 really look at uh, how it's been done and 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 kind of force really to do it. Yeah, man. Um, testing is such a joke, uh, <laughs> and it's it's it a very is. North American thing that we do because we don't just say. Who, who can get it right? Malcolm Gladwell has this great bit where he's like, in America, y'all are like, who can get it right, but also who can get it right the fastest? As if yeah, that yeah. means anything. Yeah. Because if I gave everybody a week, everybody would get everything right. So yeah. what are we really measuring? Oh, well, if you're quicker at it, that means you're smarter at it. And it's just like, that has nothing to do with college. And so when right. you're talking about the metrics by which we assess, I mean, I don't know how it is in K through 12, but over here, man, seems like the loudest voice in the classroom gets the most love and attention 
yeah. and 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 gets the most resources. And a lot of times you got people that don't say nothing, but when they get a chance to write something, mm-hmm. they're amazing. And mm-hmm. writing is thinking. Writing is the measure by which all of it matters. Can you articulate your thoughts so somebody else can understand them? But we're like, is that where you see the disconnect of what we're missing? Or is that just a function of, you know, the the utility of school and, and we have to process it faster? Like, what do you think? You know, it, it's just a function, a uh, 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 byproduct of, of the current system. And and it, it is, it is um, you know, the way I explain it, it's like learning process or the process of acquiring knowledge and, and mastery, right? Really should be just that, like that kids learn at um, different points in their, in their life. And I mean, if we sit back and reflect, there might be things you're interested in at this point in your life. If you had no interest when you were 12 or yeah. you know, you were 20 years old, um, it's, and, and you have a different appreciation for it as you age or have a better understanding of why you should have appreciation of it. Well, knowledge is the same thing, right? Um, you know, I often explain to people like kind of like um, the tale of two geniuses and the tale of two geniuses like uh, Mozart and Beethoven. You know, Mo- Mozart was uh, um, someone that was like a child prodigy, four years old. He was, you know, like writing these great symphonies and, you know, whatever, whatever. And then Beethoven was an old man before he started cranking out his best work. But the difference is that, you know, sometimes some people get it right away. And then some people take time because what they were doing was mastering their craft. And as they master their craft, then you start to see the byproduct of who they are. Uh, schooling doesn't allow for kids to show mastery. It just shows that I'm good enough. And it may show that some kids are Mozart. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and as some kids are really Beethoven, like you, you've already labeled them or placed them into a certain category um, that diminishes their talents before they're able to, to really show the world their masterpiece. And so, you know, it's it just, we, we have to re- refocus or, or look at what is the design and what is the outcome of the design? What, do, what, is, the, what is the desired outcome that we're looking for as a nation? We're gonna have to, we have, gonna have to come up with a collective understanding of what that is right now. It's driven by billionaires and their personal interests. Um, that's where the money is going to be sent to and, and, and research is going to be put in. And, you know, no different than when uh, the Vanderbilt's or the, the Rockefellers, you know, whatever they valued or thought was important or forward uh, is what people, you know, did. And you, the factory style schooling is a byproduct of, you know, the Ford plant. So, you know, you, you, you enter at a certain age, you're going to come out at a certain age and that's the, the finished product but we're no longer working in the factory age. And so we have to do something different sooner than later. Do you think there's any chance that because we put testing on hold from all levels, right? The star of the tax, GRE, LSAT, all of those, and the world continued, students still learned, people still got into college, people still graduated, still people still showed, you know, mastery or the beginning of that, that that will be, kind of a case study in the futility of those? Or is there just too much money on the line? Well, the thing is, you know, uh, there's already a lot of research to tell you that it doesn't work. Mm, uh, true. Uh, it, it just, it's a lot of money. You know, a lot of money in a lot of different industries that's tied to testing. The prison industry, 
is tied to testing, you know? Mm-hmm. And then from that, you have really <laughs> education, you know, public uh, justice, all the, all, I mean, social, social work, like uh, any, any social work, you know, job, state job, all that's tied to assessments. Whether it's, uh, I'm gonna assess your brain to see if you have a mental, you know, disorder, uh, you, and you, whether you need to go to the clinic to get tested for the, I mean, all of it is, it's all the same thing, you know, because cause when you when you classify kids for certain special ed identifications or behavioral issues, um, there are additional supports that's needed. And once those are needed, you know, then it puts a kid in a certain cl- classification, then that kid can't do certain things. So, so it's all, it's all, it's, it's a very sticky web that's very connected. Uh, and it takes um, special individuals to navigate that, um, that web. So mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like, you know, like, ah, you know, only, only the most gifted insects survive the web. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I think it's a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Can I ask you what your pet peeves are um, when it comes to folks that are outside of the K through 12 education space coming in and saying, this is the problem with education? I mean, I'm sure there's more than a couple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, primarily with K-12 K is to blame for a lot. You know, um, you know, the best example is kind of like when people, you know, now during COVID, you hear about all these uh, inequity issues in regards to medical and, you know, medicine and healthcare, uh, as if it wasn't already always and has been there. Mm. Um, when you think about people coming in and making these like snap judgments on on education, like, you know, at the university level, you're like, man, these kids can't even write. Why are you in college, you know, or, you know, like, what did you learn? You, you know, that's the kids who actually make it to even whether it's the junior college or the university level, like, but they're blaming a system that really, you know, for those who actually went to school to become teachers, you know, like, you know, it's a it's a broken system. And, and and somebody has to place the blame somewhere. And honestly, that's the capitalist, you know, that's the mm-hmm. capitalist. We are designed to place blame on somebody to, in order for someone to be less than someone else. So if you're at the university level, it's easy for you to point back and say the K-12 is the issue, right? But but if I said, well, the university is educating these people that's supposed to be coming out and educating the people. <laughs> so so it's, it's just, it's this perpetual cycle that, that that can't be broken because no one wants to own or take the blame for it, right? And so um, you hear it, you just gotta recognize that people lack the knowledge or understanding of um, the bigger issue. And when it all boils down to it, it just boils down to money and who has the money. And I'm not talking about, you know, millionaires, I'm talking about billionaires and that 1% who really controls the world, you know, what we do, what we think, what feeds us, you know, what, you know, what we eat. <laughs> I mean, that'd be like, like that, everything, like what we put in our brain, um, they control all of it. And, and, and I, and I hate to be so blank in this, but their money's tied to all of it. And, and, and we see, we see how, you know, stock, why stock market crash and mm. how in, intertwined all the businesses are, you know? So you, you just, you realize what we're up against. And, and it's, I don't know if there's, uh, they they found the mechanism that makes you know uh, humans move and and that's money and, and things so 
long as they have the power to have that, this is a hard battle. So, you know, what do you think the goal is? Like, if we're living in a society that's based on consumption, if people stop consuming, society stops on itself. I need consumers. I need people to go to the job, ask as few questions as possible, live out their life, die chilling, right? Like that's, we want as many people and not question the apple cart, not upset the apple cart, not start a union, not, not lead a protest, not start a social movement, not, no, 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 no. So if that, like, that's what we need to keep it spinning. But here, let me educate you. Let me teach you how to be a critical thinker. It's like, do we really want, like you just said, you said earlier, like, no, nah, I don't type any, I don't hit any recommended videos. Are you crazy? Like, of course not. I, somebody's using them recommended videos, more people than not. So the answer is, you know, my, my sole purpose now in my life, you know, is, is to, to keep curiosity alive, curiosity and learning and want kids to ask those questions. You know, questions are stifled early. Um, once kids get, you know, about first grade, it ain't cute to ask questions no more. Uh, and they learn that in school. And in school is a product of, we need just enough educated people to be con educated consumers, but not individual thinkers. Uh, but the individual thinkers usually become the ones who control the system or the ones who become the billionaires to create the product because they were, the, they were able to really um, think outside the box, look at a problem critically and realize that if they did this, they could, you know, control really. And, and, and they did and they do. So what we have to do is, is, is continue to spark curiosity, uh, creativity, and, you know, analytical, critical thinkers for those who are religious. You know, when you go back and look at any deity uh, in the history of mankind, they all were critical. They were all critical of whoever was in power, you know, or of or, or people in their uh, their thinking, right? They, they were always analyzing or being reflective. Uh, we have to continue to push kids to to challenge and question and and be curious of why or how things work. Um, that's not anti or against. Uh, that is that is simply. Uh, looking at a question and and asking, you know, right now we're trying to go to the Mars and wherever, you know, we're trying to run from run from the sun or whatever we're trying to do, um, you know, because someone's curious and and we don't know what we're going to find, but but that curiosity is what would allow you know the first nomads to leave, you know, the, the cradle of civilization, uh, you know, in Ethiopia, and so where people leave out and and they started to travel. That was they're just curious, man. You know whether, why, you know why we can eat all the food we can eat, and you know someone died and someone lived. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and and so that curiosity is is really what keeps us moving forward as a people. And I believe that curiosity is going to be the the way we solve our own problems. At some point, we'll get to the point that we recognize that we're on a path of self destruction, and we can solve it. But will it be too late? You know. Um, you know, and just when you when you really look at the grand scheme of things, when you know global warming, you know, uh, you, you know, rainforest being chopped down for consumer products, you know, uh, you know, 
consuming just to consume stuff like we're gonna we're gonna eat our own earth really you know just <laughs> for goods for what you know for to say i have and and that goes back to just the capitalist ideal of i'm better than you because i have it it's not that their value or their life is any more important it's just i have it you don't and um and that, that until we change that dynamic of a power understanding you know when the last person on earth is the billionaire he's gonna wish that uh he shared that wealth mm. with the world man i don't mean to be so deep and no and, this is yeah. good <laughs> i don't think anthony and i do anything but spiral <laughs> we talk to each other we go straight to capitalism i don't has there been a single episode where we haven't talked about capitalism as like the root of yeah, I mean, all the harms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm a deeply avowed capitalist, right? Like you know, he sounds like a Marxist every other week when we talk. Gay, right? He's like, coming I, in like, here, Mr. Charles. <laughs> I, I know, but yeah, but 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 there, there's there's you got to be a human. You got to be a human though. Like we we've 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 taken all humanity out of everything, and it's like, well, if I can, I will. And I have I have this and you don't. And so that makes you less than. It's like, well, if you don't have no morality around what a human being is, what a soul is on this planet, then, you know, you, you, you got your own set of issues. And the first, like, you know, I, I still remember when Hurricane Harvey hit and, you know, J.J. Watts out in the canoe saving people, carrying people on his shoulder. And Joel Osteen is shutting up his church. Like, yeah, no, nah, y'all can't come in here. It was you know, flooded. And then, Oh yeah, we're flooded. Like no, nah, y'all can't come in here. And it's like what? Or it's like oh, I uh, right down the road. Like Best Buy is selling four hundred dollar water. And it's just like man, is the, and they would say oh no, supply and demand. Like that's ridiculous. You know, like you you can't just umbrella that on capitalism. But but at the same time, it's like no, nah, I don't think we should all get paid the same. Heck no, nah, I don't think the government should own the modes and the means of production. Heck no, <laughs> right? But <laughs> so there's a. Yeah, and and, and 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 here's the deal, you know, this experiment, uh, this 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 thing, you know, we live in uh, this country, is 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 a very new experiment, you know, is when you think about civilization and empires and uh, uh, other, I mean, you know, the, the Chinese empire has been, you know thousands and like we're, we're talking about like hundreds of years that United States is experiment. We're experimenting with, with a new concept mm -hmm. and, and, and it will morph and will continue to morph. Um, and the people will continue to try to push. Um, I just hope that we ain't sold off <laughs> to the highest bidder before. <laughs> so, 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 you know, let's just, let's just, let's just hope this experiment works, man. Cause uh, I hear I'm the EU is down a country. So, you know, it right. can always go back. <laughs> yeah, see, go there and be like, hey, good. Yeah, you know, we say all the time, there's libraries overseas that are older than America. Like America is, yeah. you know, a hop skip. And, and, and we still fighting about old stuff that's relatively new stuff because you go back a couple generations and it's like, yo, no, we lived that. It's like, you know, I said on this show, like my mom picked cotton, my dad picked, like they was in the field, right? Like that's what it, that's what it was, you know? Like, and, and you talk to, and you and talk to mom, them. My mom picked cotton. Right, you know? like it's like, see, like we're of a certain age. Like, yeah, guess what? Guess what you did in the summer? Like that's yeah. what it was. 
until she was 16 years old. She won't let you, she would not let you see. I was like, you pick cotton 16? Like, wow. I wouldn't. It's crazy because it's like when I was 16, I was absolutely lazy playing basketball. <laughs> and I couldn't think about being in no sun all day, no Mississippi sun. Right. Cotton. But for pennies on the dollar. So, you know, you know, come a long way. But uh, yeah, man, you know, I, money is is truly, I know that, you know, old um, saying of money is the root of all evil, but it is, it is what it is. Um, but it's also opportunities for some people to change, um, you know, their, their family trajectory. And so it's like this love hate relationship with capitalism, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm watching, watching my stocks today. Like, mm. you know, I was mad cause I fell asleep cause I was supposed to invest. And, yeah. and, you know, I knew, I knew the feds were coming out with the big knowledge about the interest rates. And I was like, oh yes. Yeah. You know, I buy when it's, when it's red. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm about to dump down. And I totally overslept oh. and, woke up, and I'm like, oh yeah, but I'm up, I'm up, but you know, I'm up, I'm up big, but I would have been up bigger. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if I did what I need to do today, but uh, you know, it's just um, no, it's, it's the world we live in. Thinking about money and how that drives everything, um, in your ideal world, how could we change the way education is funded so that it works better for everyone? Wow. Just to another light question for you. Yeah, I'm gonna leave that on <laughs> Fix education funding. Y'all asking heavy, heavy questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yo, one thing I'm gonna say is that we don't need to privatize education. Heck that's gonna, no. That's gonna be the first thing. I, I agree with uh, you there. Uh, so don't, anti-privatization of education. The Montessori approach is probably to me um, the best educational model that I, that I think uh, when you when you really go back and read Maria Montessori and why she you know created a school in Italy, the concept um, it really aligns with everything that school should be, um, and even kind of like it takes the fluff out of like what you know like yeah school feels you know but le learning is not really learning shouldn't really learning should just be learning it shouldn't be like a fun or born or it should just be like I'm, I learned something and if you're engaged in something or you your interest is there then you should focus on that right and you know right now a lot of funding goes into things that again puts kids in pathways to say you're going to be these things right very sounds like a European countries and you know Eastern countries where you're going to be this, you're going to go to school for this. And like, you know, and if you don't take certain maths, you can't be this or mm. you can't, you're not going to go because, you know, they, they, they seen the research and they realize that people are going to school, getting degrees, not utilizing those degrees in, in the field that they said they were going to do. They can't pay, you know, financial aid back or student loans back. So it's creating this bubble, you know, so they recognize they can't continue to do that model. So they got to have to fund K-12 more. Uh, and, and get kids more certificates and, and, and jobs that will produce something, hopefully manufacturing something that we can sell to other countries. But funding, schools receive a lot of funding. I, I just, more than what people think, it's never enough. It's never enough. Like ideal is 
could we reduce class sizes? I would say that would be where we could make a, a tremendous impact, but then obviously then there will be a teacher shortage. Like we don't have enough mm -hmm. teachers because teaching profession doesn't pay enough, right? So funding something like paying teachers more, not just necessarily to work it, you know, they got funding mechanisms for working at underserved schools and all that, you know, but when you really think again, from a historical lens, they'll use research to say why they're doing that. But, you know, when African-Americans were asking for equal funding, you know, before Brown versus Board of Education, you know, they didn't give it then. Now all of a sudden you wait 60 years and now all of a sudden you want to change things and say, we need to fund teachers to go work in the hood. That don't really work either. You know, it'd be 60 more years before we realized that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. What needs to happen is just simply pay teachers higher wages, you know, 70, $80,000 a year, you know, really focusing at the, you know, a higher ed level into producing more teachers, educators, uh, and then, you know, really focusing on not just pathways for kids, but looking at, can we create entrepreneurs and innovative thinking, you know, like think tanks where kids can produce something that they come out selling versus uh, working for someone else or building someone else's dream. And that's kind of, you know, kind mm -hmm. of the, the nature of the beast right now. Nice. We're, we're probably going to have to have you back to talk about the documentary. I can touch on it real quick, man, if you want. It ain't, you know. Well, okay, if you're down to talk about it, like, you know, if you could just hit on, like, hey, your approach to qualitative research, why you think there's so much utility in that in that tool, mm -hmm. and and the documentary on Fort Worth Sound, and, and, and how you put that together, and, and, and you know, you, that was... Now, you had all the footage and then COVID hit, you know, so. You know, I had an opportunity to go to New York for uh, AA, uh, AERA, Educational Conference. And, and um, I had this epiphany, man, like, like all this is dead. And I hate to say it like that, but it was like, like you know, just talking heads. There's a bunch of talking heads, like highly intelligent people that really worked really hard on their research and. And so they're talking about it and they want to share it with people and, and it's cool. And there's nothing wrong with that, man. You know, um, but I felt like research should give people a voice um, and it should be more reflective. That's real. And instead of writing research for people in higher ed, I want to provide research or give truth to, to what is interesting to the average man, you know, not someone that's, that's a PhD that's reading, the research and being nitpicking, you know, all that just didn't fit my personality uh, because I believe that kind of, like I said, like, you know, once you reach the, the mountaintop, you have a responsibility of bringing people with you, whether they can actually enter the school with you, they can't, some can't, uh, but, but because you acquired the knowledge, uh, you allow them to kind of see your approach to things. And so the, the, the documentary uh, that I'm, you know, currently still working on and it's things I'm, it's, I'm not rushing it, um, mm -hmm. but it's called Mike and Cord, and and, and it's, it's it's about you know the Dallas Fort Worth sound and the impact Dallas Fort Worth has had on the world, and really uh, a lot of the unsung heroes um, in regards to music and the impact that they've had. Um, a lot of people don't know, uh, really, that you know, like when you think of places like New Orleans or 
you know, Tennessee or, or you know, even Toronto uh, or, or New York or Los Angeles, the musicians, and you hear about it, but people don't realize a lot of those people were transplanted to those cities, came from somewhere. And so really uh, my documentary starts really coming out of slavery in Galveston, uh, you know, with, um, you know, the general orders and the migration of these, you know, slaves looking for their lost, displaced family members throughout uh, Texas and, and, and moving into those freedmen communities throughout the North. And so, you know, that creates uh, an interesting story because, you know, Texas is, is kind of multitude of mix. It was like the really the first melting pot before New York, anywhere else it was, you know, the first melting pot of, of all different races of people and places, you know. And so Dallas Fort Worth uh, along the Trinity really gave life to, to, to a sound and continues to give, you know, life to a sound that people may not be, you know, aware of. So it's just uh, highlighting some of those, the musicians, not necessarily the singers, but the musicians that are behind a lot of, you know, records that people love. Uh, I, you know, I was able to, um, you know, a lot of my frat brothers just happened to be some of those musicians that made uh, very key impacts in early in their career, young kids who are now, you know, same age group. Uh, but, you know, I, like one of my buddies, Sean Martin, he just won his ninth Grammy, uh, but he plays with a, a group called Snarky Puppy um, that, you know, most of them went to the University of North Texas for jazz studies, which North Texas was one of the first jazz schools that offer a degree in jazz. Um, but, but, you know, to understand what jazz is and what jazz music means to African-Americans uh, and then for them to be able to offer that, that course uh, to understand, you know, who, who was able to get into the one o'clock band and it's, it's deep, man. And, and, um, and it really centered around two, two high schools, uh, Booker T. Washington in Dallas uh, and I am Terrell in Fort Worth. Both now are performing art schools. Uh, so Booker T. Washington is, is known for you know, Erica Badu, Nora Jones, Roy Hargrove. I mean, they got a list of people, you know, dancers, singers, uh, musicians, you know, Jasmine Horn, you know, that that has went on to do great things. Here on Fort Worth is the home of uh, Arnett Cole, Dewey Redmond. I, I mean, I can go on, you know, and when you really break down who they are and what they meant for music, Dallas, you know, Ray Charles lived in Dallas. He got his sound, you know, before he broke his first big records, you know, he lived in, in South Dallas um, and he would play at the Woodman, you know, Woodman, you know, and, and when, before he moved to Houston, he was up here studying and a lot of his musicians, you know, uh, that he played with were from Dallas. Sly Stone is from Denton, really Fort Worth um, and, and understanding how, you know, Church and God in Christ played a part, in, um, uh, you know, his development. Uh, and changing music, you know, and what we call psychedelic psych psychedelic rock or, you know, um, funk soul. When you think about people like probably greatest jazz musician, according to most researchers would say Charlie Parker, uh, but his mentor, Buster, you know, Buster Smith, uh, lived in Dallas for a long time and, and, and really uh, before he moved to Kansas City and then Charlie Parker obviously went to New York. Uh, but Arnett Coleman was one of the first jazz musicians to really kind of play music uh, in a sense, like a black way of uh, playing off, which led to people like Miles Davis and whatnot. And these people, you know, are from Fort Worth and Dallas. And I can go on and on, you know, uh, it just, 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 just looking at the impact of Dallas, you know, Vanilla Ice is from Dallas. He was the first multi-platinum 
you know, rap musician and first gangster rap, you know, you know, like that really blew up NWA was uh, the DLCs from Dallas. And so I had, you know, I got a lot of different people on there kind of talking about um, their impacts on, on, on hip hop. And, and even, you know, I got guys who, um, you know, played a lot of the music for Death Row, guys who did a lot of East Coast, you know, music for, you know, EPMD and, people don't realize like all these guys are right here, you know, in from Dallas. Uh, I got Jerome Harmon who writes, you know, most of the music for uh, Justin Timberlake and, you know, did Beyonce's Drunken Love and, parti and, you know, Partitions. And I mean, did songs for Michael Jackson. So like, you know, just, just there's some major, major, you know, hit makers that are here in Dallas Fort Worth. And they just, you know, going back to all the way back to Blind Lemon Jefferson and, you know, and Robert Johnson coming to Dallas to record. So I'm just trying to put Dallas for worth uh, on the map for what it deserves um, in this recognition that it has not been given. Um, and it's just been exported uh, talent for a lot of people, but really needs the, the credit it, it deserves. So I'm trying to give those uh, musicians a, a platform to, to share their story and, um, and kind of go from there. It's cool. It was it was cool to see. It was cool to hear you talk about it last year. See all the stuff on the hard drive. Oh, it's coming, man. I've seen I've seen lots of it. Yes. Yeah. No. Nah, he. This ain't no. This ain't shot on no iPhone, man. My man got boom mics and lighting and 8K videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I went. I went in. I went in. Did you teach yourself all the videography skills or is that all something you had? Wow. Of all of it. You know, right, like right now, like I'm, I'm doing this week, you know, so since I'm on spring break, I'm doing some of the editing for B-roll. I have a guy I'm working with named uh, Stack Moses. Um, he's going to be working as my editor on, on, on it, kind of putting the storyline together. Uh, you know, I was trying to find ways to kind of convert this 15 hours of uh, <laughs> interviews into a book. So I was trying to tra transcribe it. What I think I'm gonna do is just chop it up in like maybe like six, six to seven, maybe eight chapters or something like that, and just record, mm -hmm. transcribe eight different segments, um, and, and that way I don't have to get rid of anything, uh, but for the purpose of mm -hmm. the documentary, kind of just stick with the sweet spots, um, and then so do it. Still do a book for uh, academia, uh, but do the documentary, you know, for for you know people. Um, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and you know it's, it's the same it's, it's the same approach it's just try to be relevant uh and recognizing that people do utilize things like youtube to to learn uh, and netflix and whatnot and they're paying a lot of money for content so uh, yeah con content is currency does the documentary have a name yes so it's called uh mike and cord Oh, and, and, uh, Mike and Cord. The reason why, when you drive into Dallas, Reunion Tower looks like a big Mike, and it sits on the Trinity River. And so uh, I just took a play on on the fact that it looks like a microphone, and as a, on, on the Trinity River looks like a cord leading to Fort Worth. That's okay. what connects, connects the two cities. And again, you know, just oftentimes you only hear about the artists coming out of Dallas, but never really understanding that you know how many people from uh, Fort Worth really you know play with Rita Franklin. I mean, I, I can go on and on and on and on and on and on um, that made music 
huge and not just African-American, but I am focusing primarily on African-American musicians for this documentary. Dr. Williams, what is the quote of the week? Yeah, the quote of the week is, uh, be ashamed to die until you have scored some victory for humanity. And that's uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Nice. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, no doubt. This has been This Is For The CV. Thanks for listening, Mom. This Is For The CV is a Larson and Lestrat production. Editing done by Rebecca Larson. Music performed by Issa Black. Thanks, man.